0: It's Lit, where all things literary live at the Root. I'm Danielle Belton, The Root's Editor-in-Chief, here with the Managing Editor of The Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Hey. We have an awesome guest today, Clover Hope, who is an accomplished journalist, writer, and now author. Clover is also practically family, as she was a <laughs> colleague of ours back when she worked as Jezebel's culture editor. Now she's a contributing editor at Pitchfork, and has just published her first book, The Mother which is a comprehensive history of over a hundred women who helped shape hip hop. But we spoke with Clover in September of 2020, not long after the release of Beyonce's Blackest King, which Clover happened to co-write. That's right. And you know, uh, that's not where her relationship with Beyonce
1: actually began. I don't you know, I don't know, who knows? How Beyonce gets put on, but she got hit to Clover a while back and actually had Clover pen her 2018 history-making cover story for Vogue, um, in which Tyler Mitchell became the first black photographer to shoot a cover of Vogue. But, you know, what we didn't talk about is that our friend Clover wrote that story with Beyonce, translated De- Beyonce's voice for the page. Uh unfortunately, you know, when you work for Beyonce, you can't really, you know, with I India's guess the first tights. Yeah, the first rule of working with Beyoncé is, you know... You don't talk about working with Beyoncé. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Now, so. if you want to keep working for Beyoncé. <laughs> but Beyoncé knows a good thing when she sees it, and that's the important thing here. And so we are very proud um, to have one of our own putting out this incredible book of 100 women who shaped hip-hop. And it, I don't think there's been a better time to really talk about this. I mean, it's long overdue, but, I mean, women in hip-hop, have have been deserving this for a while, wouldn't you say?
0: Oh, definitely. Behind the scenes, in front, absolutely. everywhere, producing, spinning. Women have been part of hip hop since hip hop began. So they deserve their due.
1: They deserve their flowers, as we like to say. <laughs> exactly.
0: All right. So should we get to the interview? We absolutely should. clover
2: thank you good (laughs) to see you again
0: (laughs) it's good to see you welcome to it's lit great name thank you (laughs) i I know i love it i came up with it all by myself she sure did (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much for joining us today it's like a little reunion for those of our listeners who are not in the know until very recently clover was the culture editor at our sister site jezebel So it's great to have you back as a featured guest.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's no trouble. Now, obviously, we don't really need to break the ice with you. But since It's Lit is a podcast about Black books and writers, we like to kick off each episode by asking our guests, that means you, to name at least one book that you have considered life-changing, life-altering, life-affirming, blew your mind. What was that book? Or books for you. Okay.
2: Maybe I have two. One is definitely The Bluest Eye. It was, a, I mean, it's a book that I've read a few times. It's kind of a book that I read early in life <laughs> before I ever was a professional writer. They kind of made me want to write. <laughs> um, my thing with the book is that it's a book that I wish I would have written or a book that like If I was going to write a novel, that's the type of book that I would want to write. Like It it was just like the perfect kind of um, book for like a 14-year-old me to read who was insecure and like dark skin and, you know, just really thinking about the same things that Piccola was thinking about and just the poetry of it really just it was it was amazing to me. Um, and then Joan Morgan's, um, when chicken heads come home to roost, just yes. as a, um, you know, like a woman in hip hop was really big for me because it was so conversational and just like, you know, it, it was conversational and also tackling a lot of like hard questions and big questions that are hard to break down. And she did it in such a, you know, such a like casual but very Joan way <laughs> and, and a way that kind of, um, you know, touched on a lot of things that women had been, you know, feminists in hip hop had been thinking about for so long. So, and that, so that was a book I, I definitely referenced and like read over when I was working on my book because it was such a, it's just like such a seminal work,
0: I think. No, those are two huge, huge yeah, books. Huge. Yeah, um, huge. Oh, I agree. They were just game changers on so many different levels. I, I read both of those as a young woman as well. And yeah, like amazing, amazing works there. Uh, so definitely approve of those choices.
1: Yeah, and I <laughs> love that you said that about uh, that that the Blue Eye is the book that you would have written to your fourteen year old self because that's so true to Toni Morrison, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what she always said. You write the book that you wish you could have read.
2: Yeah, it's such a reflection. I just feel like it's a mirror. <laughs> it just felt like a mirror so much. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Clover, in addition to Jezebel, you've been on the staff at Vive, XXL, and Billboard, and recently returned to music writing as a contributing editor at Pitchfork, which leaves you um, with more free time to do things like, oh, I don't know, co-write Beyonce's Blackest King. <laughs> and as if that's not enough, you have a book on women in hip-hop coming out next February. Yes, With print and digital media, script writing, and a manuscript under your belt, I don't think it'd be an understatement to say you're kind of living the writer's dream right now.
2: Does it feel that way to you? It is crazy because I didn't plan this timing at all. (laughs) I did not know that the book would be available for pre-order around the same time that the film was coming out. Um, around the same time, obviously, that I'd be, like, leaving a job. So it really was, like, kind of this weird weird timing, opportune timing, I guess. Like, everything just kind of worked out a bit. But, like, one thing I was thinking about, like, after talking to a friend was this, like, I used to have this idea of, like, what type of writer I wanted to be. And I always pictured, like, Aaliyah S. King, who was, like, one of my mentors and like a writer who, uh, she wrote for Vibe a lot. She wrote Faith's, uh, memoir, um, like co wrote Faith's memoir with her. And she just did a lot of like freelance work for Vibe and like to the source. And so, you know, as a 20 something journalist picturing, like where I would want to be like 10 years from then, <laughs> that was what I pictured. I was like, Oh, I want to be like writing books and, you know, freelancing. <laughs> and then my friend was like, Oh, well you are doing that. so. Congrats! So yeah, it's it's something that I did like envision, but I didn't kind of. I guess I kind of like mapped it out subconsciously or whatever. How that happened? No, happens. same. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I have no idea how I ended up here. I mean, I clearly planned to end up here.
2: Right. You planned it, <laughs> yes. Like the, the whole manifesting thing. You, your brain like takes you through the execution that is in your mind already.
0: <laughs> and so like with all your background in music, would you say that music is like the through line of your work? And how did that begin for you?
2: Um, definitely through vibe. vibe. Uh, music writing was not something that I kind of thought of as a professional option. Hmm. Um, I used to read vibe like in my teens. And it was like hoarding copies of it because I just felt like it was The magazine that spoke to me most, it was like young, you know, like a young Black readership who's like obsessed with music. I was obsessed with R&B and rap and just kind of beginning to pick it up around like 13, 14, like listening to DMX and (laughs) all the good 90s music total. And like I was buying all these cassette tapes and had the word up and right on. Uh, magazine pages on my walls in the attic. And so that was my early kind of kinship with music. Um, It was definitely a lot of like, you know, immature and brandy, (laughs) you know. And so once I kind of started reading about them and kind of noticing that writing was actually a job, (laughs) I think I kind of began to see it as a profession. But even then, I didn't going to college, knowing what I was going to do. I was undecided. So I chose writing in like my second year because I think people were just telling me I was good at it. And like, I wanted to do music engineering. Like I wanted to be like uh, something in music business that I couldn't quite figure out. And then um, journalism just kind of, it just, I don't know, it was, it's really weird. It just seemed like the right thing to do. (laughs) And it just always went back to music because that was the first passion.
0: Well, obviously, Beyonce was happy um, with the article you wrote a few years back for her uh, that appeared in Vogue because she invited you back to co-write Black is King, which has become its own pop cultural milestone when it debuted in July. This was a pretty epic project, especially because You were also tasked with representing the African diaspora, which proved to be a really loaded responsibility. How did you approach that?
2: Yeah, I mean, there were lots of people who luckily who kind of executed that vision. So it was ideas and concepts and writing coming from different angles, essentially, But, you know, under the general scope or the general kind of idea that you're, we're telling a story about bridging generations and telling a story about bridging cultures with a heavy basis, obviously, in like the Lion King story itself. So, you know, the idea is to, was to like reimagine that story for like, you know, younger, for like the young black generation in a similar way that, you know, I've, Been bringing up The Wiz as an example just because, you know, that imagining of kind of like a classic white kind of fairy tale story and the way that, you know, Black kids or Black people remember that story. You know, I think there's a similar kind of through line or in in the sense that, you know, maybe some kids who had not seen Lion King will have watched this and this will be their, (laughs) you know, like this film will be their idea of like the Lion King.
1: See, and I almost think of Lion King as a reclaiming of, right, of, of right. like the African as opposed to, I never thought of it as a white story.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. But <laughs> no. the Lion King itself, <laughs> yeah. like the original story, yes. And then, you know, the vacation, and then, mm. you know, like there's all these kind of threads, I think. And the idea was to kind of bring out some of the Blackness.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean definitely Disney agrees. They put the Lion King, like both versions in the black section <laughs> of their, <laughs> their African American targeted content. Yeah. So clearly they 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 picked up on that. Um what would you say though about people who had pushback against how African culture was portrayed in black as king? Like do you have any thoughts about that?
2: Um, I mean I think like the, you know, any kind of criticism is for art is that's the intention. some you know, like it, you know, art is supposed to be kind of like analyzed in this way. And I think the fact that it was, you know, says a lot about the vastness of it. I guess, like that's how I kind of choose to think about it. <laughs> it just in the sense that you know, it's kind of a uh, an honor <laughs> to be analyzed in that way. I think.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> A lot of criticism, like I just interpreted it as like, you know, slightly misdirected flattery. Like, thank you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Fair. You totally read, watched, absorbed this thing that I created and it made you have feelings. That was the intent.
2: Yeah. And I think uh, it's, um, you know, everyone is sensitive about their art. Of so. course. Of course. Like anything I create, even like blogs that I'll, you know, once you put it out there, it's like, okay, like, I don't want to see it. (laughs) I don't want to see the feedback. It's that process, basically.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... Clover, I'm going to double back to Beyonce because as the resident person in The Root Crew who does fashion and beauty, obviously I was the one who covered two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, when you became part of fashion history, right? You know, you, you wrote Beyonce's cover story for Vogue's 2018 September fashion issue. And at that time, the main focus was on Tyler Mitchell being the first black cover photographer in Vogue's history. But I have a feeling there haven't been many black women who have penned their cover stories either. And I'm sure you've told this story a thousand times by now. And I ask at the risk of violating your NDA. Who knows? Maybe it's expired. But what was it like writing in Beyoncé's voice? Like, how do you write in Beyoncé's voice?
2: Yeah, I can't answer that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, Can you tell us about the experience of working in the Beyoncé sphere?
2: So I will say that, um, like, this was a different experience, the film, uh, just kind of being in a creative environment around other writers, because I'm used to writing by myself, basically, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was... Like that experience was great. Like being, um, you know, like once I went to LA and like started working on the project, just being in the room with her and like being in the room with the other kind of like, you know, the, the editors and, you know, that was definitely an enlightening and kind of like, um, enriching experience. I know that sounds, I don't know, like cliche, but it really was just a fun experience and challenging, definitely, cause writing, you know, writing is not just writing, it's rewriting and it's like um, there were things that weren't used and it's such a process and there are drafts and, you know, so it's, it's both challenging and also kind of like um, enriches the soul.
1: Yeah. Well, and I dare say, you know, it, it kind of gives you a taste. It sounds like you had that writer's room experience. And I, I totally hear what you're saying from the standpoint of like, Journalism for us is even though we work on these big editorial teams, it can be very solitary, right? <laughs> you know, we right. gotta put our heads down and write our little article. Um, so I I, I suppose it, it it was a little bit like a writer's room experience, this kind of collaborative process.
2: Right, yeah, because this idea is kind of coming from different people. Um initially, Yersa Jelly Ward had written the, you know, first outline, and so she was the first to come on board, and then I kind of came on the middle and started working on it. And then me and Mirzo were working on it together. And so it was kind of like this um, web of, (laughs) of, like a web, yeah.
1: I mean, I I think that in a weird way, I think it fits with the whole Lion King narrative. You were talking about it being a web and I was like, like Anansi, the spider? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, look, I think as a project, you know, it was so visually stunning. And I think that it is a story, you know, like many stories that, you have your first impression of it, and then as you revisit, it kind of, you know, reveals new things to you. Um, and speaking of, I guess, stories unraveling, let's fast forward now to February when your upcoming book, The Motherload, comes out. And this is highlighting more than 100 women who have, in your words, shaped the power, scope, and reach of rap music. And you reportedly conducted approximately 150 interviews for this project. Yeah. So— what was the origin story here? And I mean, I don't even know how you begin to approach. I mean, one one interview, I'm like, oh, so much to transcribe. <laughs> Why right, was it yeah. so important to include such a large scope of perspectives in this project? Um,
2: I had actually started out with fewer. <laughs> so the initial like in my proposal, the initial number of women that I was going to cover, uh, like specifically rappers it was like sixty like fifty to sixty or something. And then, as I kind of started doing more research, I was like, okay well i need to I need to broaden this. Like would it be crazy to try to get to a hundred because that would be a statement in itself. It's just you know, showing the magnitude um or the volume of women who've been who've contributed something to to hip-hop so then I just made my list longer and started reaching out to more people and then I was you know I'm kind of neurotic with reporting and you know I wanted it to be thorough so I ended up doing way more reporting than I had planned and I think that my editor had planned because I was late and then we had to like push the some dates back so um so yeah it actually started out at a more reasonable number <laughs> yes. and then I ended up with like yeah interviewing over like 150 people from like stylists to uh, like I spoke to Misa Elton Bram yeah. about like Little Kim and um spoke about one of the uh really um one of the first blurbs that I wrote was actually about Eve and like Eve's influence on fashion and like yeah. how she kind of um people forget like how she paved the way for like rappers to kind of be wearing these high fashion brands, um, because she came right after, of, uh, you know, Kim and Foxy and she was kind of seen as this high fashion muse. And so the, so the blurb about Eve is about that. And so I got a few, like her former stylists to, you know, just talk about work, like dressing her. And so it's things like that. Like once I started writing it, I ended up reaching out to more people <laughs> and it just to make it more well-rounded
1: yeah, and it kind of snowballed. And honestly, you know, it's funny how we were talking about timing and kismet and all those kind of things that developed because I think, in a weird way, it comes out at this perfect time, right? Because we're kind of you know we we had the remix on netflix. we have we've been having these conversations about this resurgence uh, or or I would say this renewed recognition of all these amazing hip hop pioneers and And you are correct. Most of them are women, which is interesting, right. Mm-mm. So I love that and and fun fact I was actually a celebrity makeup artist assistant during that era and I used um, to do little Kim as well. <laughs> so
2: uh, yes, yeah. How was that? Now I have questions for you.
1: <laughs> she she's a she was a sweetheart. She was yeah. I have not seen her for about 20 years but she was an absolute sweetheart. Um but you know speaking of women and and how uh you know one of the things that you you know that I've read that you are kind of looking at in this book is how women in the industry, the music industry, and hip-hop kind of get pigeonholed in this certain way. And, you know, you spent six years at Jazz, right? And that is a site focused on women's issues. Uh, did you find any parallels, uh, recognize any parallels between being a woman in hip-hop and a female journalist?
2: Yeah, it's actually uh, interesting. The trajectory also that I went on from working in rap, which is like obviously uh, mm-hmm. predominantly male, Yes. Um. to then being at Jessica, which is like, you know, women's issues. And ha- so like having, seeing like kind of both sides of the coin, I guess. And so, yeah, there are parallels in terms of when I, when I worked at XXL, like there was definitely, maybe because I also looked young, like, I, I don't know, just this kind Still of do. <laughs> <it's, thank> you, <laughs> perspective of like, you don't know what you're talking about, kind of like um, this little Wayne cover story that I did in my 20s or something that I flew to Atlanta for. Like, I just remember his attitude just being a bit like, you know, he was saying darling a lot. And, you know, it was just kind of, um, oh, who is this little girl coming to interview me, basically, kind of vibe. And so I did get that a lot. And I imagine that's similar with, you know, like women in hip hop, you know, like the rappers where it's, you kind of have to, you feel like you have to prove yourself more and prove that you know, prove your knowledge. Whereas men can kind of start out with a base kind of, no one's judging how much they know about rap, (laughs) you know? So I think, I do think that's similar and I have an anecdote like in the introduction of the book actually about this, about like just the correlation. Yeah, so it's, I think there are definitely uh, parallels. And you know, my favorite hip hop, a lot of my favorite hip-hop writers have been women. So
0: <laughs> so let's talk about life after full-time journalism. You recently decided to strike on your own. What prompted that decision? And what are you hoping to explore now?
2: Uh, um, What prompted it was actually working from home. <laughs> I kind of realized I liked it. <laughs> and I liked just kind of not going into an office. And I liked kind of like building my schedule, even though, you know, like Jezebel, we were pretty, um, we have like more freedom than some other media companies in terms of like working remotely. Like we were able to kind of work from home like half the day. So, so that was great. But I think being able to kind of like see that I could uh, set my own routine and kind of like set my expectations or like, this is what I want to do for the day. I could like throw in a workout and, you know, just kind of like mix it up. And so that was kind of like an impetus, but I had already kind of been thinking about, you know, what should I do next? So it was just kind of like, Jezebel was kind of a notch for me. There's so many notches that I had hit already. So I was kind of like, I need to challenge myself and go outside of what I planned for myself. (laughs) Because I had already, you know, the book is coming. I had told myself I want to write a book. And so, you know, the next, thing I have in my head is writing for TV (laughs) um who knows if that will happen but things that I want to happen have usually happened (laughs) not to be whatever but like usually I'll just be like I want to do this thing and then like we talked
1: about five years later
2: it's like yeah Mm -hmm. it's like oh you have a book so (laughs) you
1: have already (laughs) written a short film so there's that (laughs) (laughs) that
2: happened yeah That was on the
0: list. That totally happened.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) So having worked in so many genres, you're in a unique position to discuss the full scopes of possibilities as a writer. What advice do you have to give to up and coming writers who want to be the Uh, next (laughs) Cloverhead?
2: Curiosity is important to me. And I think like being curious and I guess going where the curiosity takes you will kind of always open up opportunities because Curiosity has gotten me assignments, like freelance assignments, because I'll just be like, oh, what? Like, I'm interested in this thing. Let me just, like, see if this editor wants to do it. And it's gotten me kind of just, if I'm writing through a piece and I'm just or working through an idea in a piece, curiosity helps that piece take shape. I think it's just, like, starting there, like, helps me get to where I want to be. Because, like, I'm always curious. I'm always, like, pitching ideas or coming up with weird things. I'm curious about like how life works and how people work. I'm curious about how TV works. So I'm like, okay, how can I be a part of that? And so I, that does, I think having curiosity is just, um, you know, a good, uh I guess, compass for any writer. And I would say just kind of try to tap into that basically, like your, I guess, just imagination, <laughs> you
0: yeah. know? No, I am definitely nosy as hell, so this was the only profession for me.
2: Me too, yeah. Nosiness. I wanna I wanna know what's up yeah i just am all i always have questions <laughs> always like all right i need to know everything about this subject or like what the grown folks are talking about like what does that mean like you
0: know exactly exactly yeah. well clover thank you so much for chatting with us today thank you <laughs> oh, it's always awesome to talk to you to see you um your career and watching it unfold has been absolutely amazing and i i'm Ninety-nine point nine 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 nine. Sure that you will be writing for television. So I, I don't think you have to say about that at all. Okay, you said (laughs) it. So.
1: The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Myesha
0: Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a reading on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belt and Danielle. And you can find me at Myesha on Twitter. That's
1: M-A-I-Y-S-H-A. And at Myesha Kai on Instagram.
0: And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. Maisha, what are you reading these days?
1: Well, you know, Clover, uh, you know, has 100 plus women who influence hip hop. And I'm reading something a little bit different, a little bit the same, uh, which is Black Bottom Saints, which is kind of this like incredible novel slash encyclopedia slash Bible of All these incredible figures in Detroit in the last century, like in the, I guess like the earlier part of the last century, you know, we're talking like everybody from like Dinah Washington to Ethel Waters and Joe Lewis. show up in this book. And we are going to be speaking to the author of this book, Alice Randall, the acclaimed author. She's kind of a big deal. Um, on a future episode of It's Lit so you know I've been digging into that and it is a the word that keeps coming up for me
0: is magical it's just a magical really fun book what are you reading? You know what I'm I'm, I'm reading The Root Hey,
1: it's Black History Month and you know (laughs) I gotta say we got plenty of content coming down the pipe for Black History Month so I can't blame you I have not been reading as much The Root as I should you know because uh, I got to read these books with you. So,
0: who's got to give all this reading? <laughs> that's <right. laughs> but that's what we're here for, right? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the whole concept. That's the point. That is the end game. And that is it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. In the meantime, keep it lit.